1: having a auspicious day, auspicious weekend, with uh, John, our brilliant teacher, and Matt, our chairman of the board, and we're, uh, we're sort of setting it, setting it up for you know the, the rest of these talks that we're going to have that are in really brilliant structure. Uh, John does such a good job of that, and I noticed with this particular sutta, it's, it's always fun to see how... Well, your teacher knows you, and especially <laughs> within the teaching context, he he gave me one where uh, I'm not going to be able to break it to part too much, which is I like I like where he was going with that, and in fact, he's showing me how to practice restraint in teaching the Donald. So <laughs> uh, I hope all of you can see that here. This is very, um,
0: you know, my teaching methods well, Kevin. Yeah, this this is a very straightforward description.
1: Um, that the Buddha is going to give uh, of what he experienced in the Nagara Sutta. and John introduces that in his words, and I'll read that uh, briefly. Because in the Nagara Sutta, the Buddha describes what he awakened to, his, his, the phenomenon, as we described, becoming rightly self-awakened. And, you know, the, the context is that the Buddha was well, well-educated, well-taught, came from a life of abundance and he chose to um, relinquish that and he chose uh, the the ascetic path for for a number of years in his life and he came back to the realization that both of those were extreme views and his awakening occurred in the middle of that and in the Nagara Sutta, John's words, the newly awakened Siddhartha Gautama, now a Buddha, explains the path he discovered and then taught us us as the path to becoming free of ignorance and becoming rightly self-awakened. The Buddha's words from the Nagara Sutta, in this way, I saw a timeless path be traveled by the rightly self-awakened ones. And what is this timeless path traveled by the rightly self-awakened ones? I think, we, I think we all know that the a rhetorical question. Just this Noble Eightfold Path. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. And the Eightfold Path is the fourth Noble Truth. And as teacher Matt explained earlier, the Eightfold Path is comprised and we've talked about this over the, the previous classes comprised of three factors the virtuous factors excuse me the wisdom factors the virtuous factors and the concentration factors and if we look at those those sort of impart on us how we are to think in the wisdom factors how we are to act in the virtuous factors and how we are to practice in the concentration factors and this overview that the Buddha is going to give that will follow here, the description of the Eightfold Path is is complete, and he also describes the four foundations of mindfulness, which we've started to go into, and he also is going to touch on the four states of jhana, so it, it, it also flows into that, you know, the Eightfold Path is, is the framework for how we think, how we, we're going to control our mind, or we're going to, I don't want to say control our mind, but self-control is an aspect of the Dhamma. Yep. Yeah. The virtuous factors are going to be how we act, and that's reflected back in the four foundations of mindfulness. We need to refer back to the Dhamma, hold in mind. We have to bring it, make it alive, and that happens in our life. We're out in the world. And the concentration factors, and in that, the four uh, states of jhana inform how our practice is supposed to be structured. So uh, the Buddha is going to lay that out in the following uh, discussion here. And that, that can really be summed up as what we've talked about in prior retreats and, and throughout, uh, you know, sort of the gathering of this sangha where we developed. This is what's called the heartwood of who is Dhamma. And that's really what we're lucky to have here and fortunate to have here. And in the reference to this path being timeless, that's, that's what makes it timeless. The fact that we have this opportunity to gather as a sangha, to gather together, and to practice um, these teachings that that have remained consistent and reflect back to the Buddha's experience of rightly Mm self-awakening. And the question then becomes, what did the Buddha awaken to? And he awakened to the teachings on dependent origination, which a number of our Sangha members have elaborated on. And the Buddha was struck that there was an ignorance. He didn't understand something and there was a result of suffering. And, he came to the understanding, the thing that he did not understand, what did he not understand was the four noble truths. And by thereby understanding that, replacing his ignorance with understanding, he was able to develop understanding of that and then further that by developing right view, as we've also talked about. That's how we, de- we replace ignorance with understanding. And, and once we're able to do that and Refer back to the four foundations of mindfulness in our daily life to, to acknowledge the quality of our mind at moments, whether they be agreeable, disagreeable, etc. Uh, you know, and, and that's really what we're trying to do here. So this path is timeless. It's it's wonderful to spend this time with all of you, and with that, we'll go into the Magga Vibhanga Sutta. Magga Vibhanga Sutta. The Analysis of the Eightfold Path. I have heard that at one time, the Buddha was staying in Sabati, at Jita's Grove, and at the Pindika's Monastery. There he addressed those assembled. Friends, I will now give you a detailed analysis of the Eightfold Path. Noble Eightfold Path, excuse me. Listen mindfully. This is the Noble Eightfold Path. Right View. Right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right meditation. And what is right view? Right view is knowledge with regard to stress. Knowledge with regard to the origination of stress. Knowledge with regard to the cessation of stress. And knowledge with regard to the way of practice leading to the cessation of stress. The Buddha just described there the Four Noble Truths and coming to that initial understanding of ignorance. And by by having a human life existing in this world, we, we don't understand something because the Four Noble Truths are not taught to us. We have to be taught We have to follow the teachings of a rightly self-awakened one to do that. Further, the Buddha's words. This, friends, is right view. And what is right intention? Being mindful of the intention to recognize and abandon wrong views. Being mindful of the the intention to remain free from ill will. Being mindful of the intention to remain harmless to all beings. This, friends, is right intention. What is right speech? Right speech is abstaining from lying, abstaining from divisive speech, abstaining from abusive speech, abstaining from gossip, abstaining from idle chatter. This, friends, is right speech. And what, friends, is right action? Right action is abstaining from taking life, abstaining from taking what is not freely given, abstaining from sexual misconduct. This, friends, is right action. And what is right livelihood? Right livelihood abandons dishonest livelihood. Right livelihood is honest livelihood. This, friends, is right livelihood. And what is right effort? Right effort is effort developing the skillful desire and ongoing persistence to avoid unskillful qualities that are not present. Right effort is effort developing the skillful desire and ongoing persistence to abandon unskillful qualities that are present right effort is developing the skillful desire and ongoing persistence to establish skillful qualities that are not yet present right effort is effort developing the skillful desire and ongoing persistence to end confusion and to increase the full development of skillful qualities that are present it's a I know that can sound confusing uh, it's really just describing the process of fabrications. You know, that, that's what we've described, you know, sending them clinging to the past and craving for the future. That, that's sort of a description there. This, friends, is right effort. And what is right mindfulness? Right mindfulness is remaining mindful of the body, free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful, of abandoning greed and
2: reaction to worldly events. We can all pay attention to that one. Very closely
1: at the moment. Right mindfulness is remaining mindful of feelings arising and passing away free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful, abandoning greed and reaction to worldly events. Right action is remaining mindful of mental qualities arising and passing away free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful of abandoning greed and reaction to worldly events. Right mindfulness is remaining mindful of the quality of mind, arising and passing away, free from distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful of abandoned greed and reaction to worldly events. So if you actually think in there, I know that sounded confusing. There was a lot of words. That Buddha does that. But in that actual right mindfulness, he just described the four foundations of mindfulness. Right mindfulness is remaining mindful of the body. Right mindfulness is remaining mindful of the feelings arising within the body. The breath in the body, excuse me, that's that's the first one. Mindful of feelings arising within the body. The third, right mindfulness, is remaining mindful of the quality of mind and thoughts and feelings, etc. And this, friends, is right mindfulness. And what is right meditation? For one who has developed right meditation, their concentration increases, and they withdraw from the need for sensual stimulation. For one who has developed right meditation their concentration increases and they withdraw from unskillful mental qualities for one who has developed right meditation their concentration increases and they enter and remain in the first jhana, the first level of meditative absorption which is joyful engagement and pleasure in the dhamma born from withdrawal and accompanied by directed thought and mindful evaluation. For one who has developed right meditation, their concentration increases, and their directed thoughts and mindful evaluation quiets. They enter and remain in the second jhana, the second level of meditative absorption, which is joyful engagement and pleasure born of deepening concentration and free from directed thought and mindful evaluation and confident within. For one who has developed right meditation, their concentration increases and their joyful engagement fades. Equanimity arises with the mindfulness of pleasure in a mind united with the body. They enter the third jhana. The wise know this as equanimous and mindful, a pleasant abiding. We've described that as being comfortable with life as life occurs. The Buddha's words. For one who has developed right meditation, their concentration increases, their mind rests in equanimity, neither pleasure nor pain have a footing. They enter and remain in the fourth shana. Their mindfulness and equanimity is pure, free of wrong views, rooted in ignorance, the four noble truths. This monk's is right meditation. This is what the Buddha declared, Those were gratified and delighted with his words. So, does everybody see sort of that overarching influence on this this description that the Buddha gave of his awakening, that he's giving us a framework for how to think and what to think about and what to hold in mind? He's giving us a way to act in the world, to hold in mind and recollect and refer back to the Dhamma and and acknowledge when our mind may be active. We've used the word activity. And he's also given us a guide for our practice to know and become acquainted with four states of jhana. And and Becky did a, a, a wonderful job earlier about asking that question and that inquiry so you know this is a very very clear sutta and uh, I appreciate as I said John's structure of kind of kind of tying my hands on this a little one and I really appreciate that so I'd like to (laughs) let everybody else
0: (laughs) (laughs) excuse me well I would say Hey, Kevin, you did a wonderful analysis of the Buddha's analysis of the Eightfold Path, and you presented it in a in in the way it was intended. In other words, in a very, not a simplistic way, but in reflecting the simpleness of the Eightfold Path. But you also pulled out all the nuances uh, within that simple uh, Eightfold Path. Um, you did a remarkable job, and it's Whenever I read this sutta, and I often say this when I'm teaching it, uh, not to step on your toes, Kevin, but I don't think anyone uh, in our Zoom meeting room today would say that they can't develop and accomplish exactly what the Buddha taught 2,600 years ago. There's nothing extraordinary about integrating the Eightfold Path, is it? In fact, it's the most ordinary thing we can do uh, with the effect of making us authentic human beings. Mm -hmm.
1: I agree. It's, only, it's ordinary and extraordinary at the same time because yeah. all we have to really do is just come to the realization and, and understanding that there's something that someone else figured out and can teach us that he did for 45 years. And that's that's yeah. just the emptying the initial ignorance in a, as we say, we're gentle with ourselves during the process and we take to the Dhamma. And yeah. We practice... Timeless path, and um, you know Meg did a really nice job on that earlier about the self-conscious and the self-aware, and, and we look at that yeah. as we practice the Dhamma. Are we establishing ourselves in time, either clinging to the past or craving for the future? Or are we being in time, which is awakening in time, right? We're, we're, we're yeah. comfortable with time as it as the first noble truth states. You know, dukkha occurs.
0: As a of impermanence that's a great way of putting it Kevin you know we so we stop fighting time we stop being agitated by the flow of time and we're just entered into it yes. uh, I don't know that I've ever even heard it heard impermanence stated quite that way you know because time does cre- time time is the tension in our lives isn't it, it yes, we're, we're, we
1: crave and cling for it to be anything more than
0: what yep. it is it's just time we don't we we're, we're we clinging we're clinging to the past which is a fabrication and we're concerned about the future which is also a fabrication but they both relate to the unfolding of time but the lack of control but you also mentioned what the buddha teaches us is if we want to control time we have to control our thinking about time and again that's just what the dhamma does as we develop right view, right view. yeah yeah we we and it's and it's out of that Again, not to be simplistic, but it's out of that simple understanding that impermanence is part of life. That we're able to to develop the direct knowledge and profound wisdom of what that really means for us as human beings. Not establishing ourselves at any point in that continuum. Because once we do that, once I've established myself in the past or the future, I've lost the present, haven't I?
1: And what does that feel like?
0: Yeah. Stress? Yep, always will. There's always tension there. Whenever we're not present in our, whenever our mind is not united in our body, there's always tension or stress or dukkha. Always. That's the difference between restraint and wise restraint. Yes, that's right, David.
2: Wise restraint implies, and I've always struggled with the word restraint, and John has corrected me many times, but wise restraint means that you understand right view versus restraint where your hand is always over that what you're craving for yeah and it will weaken and you will you will fail but with wise restraint built with that right view then that's that natural progression to just releasing so yeah i thought you did a great
1: job there kevin yeah, yeah, That's that's tying into what Matt taught earlier. That's what uh, disrupts the practice, right? Or that's the, that's what you just described. That sort of wise restraint is nourishing to the practice, whereas when we uh, you know have unwise restraint or, or we cling and crave, then that results in stress to the practice.
0: Yeah, as
1: Matt said, yeah.
0: and that that flows from right intention and right effort. The the there's a, a common modern phrase called "tough love" that many people are enamored with, but the Dhamma teaches just the opposite: gentle love of ourselves. In other words, to let go of any harsh judgments as a as a way of motivating ourselves towards change, and simply accept the fact that I've been ignorant of four noble truths and wake up. And that's a that's a completely different experience than um, modern self-help tenets, isn't it? because they're all designed to first find out what's wrong with us, how where were we broken, and then try to change that. And that's just to focus on what's wrong, and it's rooted in the wrong view. Where the Dhamma, the Buddha teaches us to let go of all those fabrications. We don't have to get into the um, the foolish fabrications we've developed about ourselves. All we have to do is recognize that we've done it, let it go, and awaken in this moment. You know, and, and Kevin, you're doing a brilliant job of bringing that out.
1: So, We'll go to the room, room if you'd like. Uh, we'll draw a number. Why don't we start with Teacher Matt? Matt. Hey, everybody.
0: Matt.
1: You have an excellent job. Um, you know, I, I'm always. struck and and I guess um, heartened at the same time that this path of practice, this eightfold path of practice for liberation from the stress that is inherent in self-centered conditioned thinking it's something that we didn't know about Hmm. which implies that we were, were living our lives, or we were living our lives before we encountered this teaching in a way that was stressful and constantly informed by...
0: Because of that ignorance. Right. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. By this one ignorance of Four Noble truths, but, but sort of a, a, a constant grasping, clinging and craving or aversion to... Getting what we wanted or getting what we didn't want. Um, and that turning our attention towards this path of practice reveals exactly where we cling and crave. Exactly yeah. where in our thoughts we cling and crave, exactly where in our feelings we cling and
0: crave. Why do you why does it why does why does it do that? Why does the Dhamma bring us to that point? i'm asking you because i know you know the answer
1: i'd say you know it it it, we get calm through this practice and when we have calm we have stability and when we have stability of mind we're able to look at what's occurring in our minds from a dispassionate point of view and then I don't, I'm not getting into this what's wrong attention. I'm not getting into trying to fix a broken self. I'm not trying to get rid of thoughts and feelings that are uncomfortable because I understand that they're impermanent. They arise and pass away on their own all day long. So really very clear, Kevin, and uh,
0: excellent, yeah. excellent. Thank you, Matt. Right.
1: Mary. Hello.
3: Hello. Good job. Kept, uh, very clear. And, um, and your cadence is really nice, too. So um, that's nice. Um, the, you know, part of what strikes me is, um, you know, the we mentioned about the tension that exists, you know, and we often say this is not for the faint of heart because while it, all of this can make beautiful, simple sense to us, it challenges and holds us accountable to uh, true abandoning, you know, a sincere mm-hmm. uh, that abandoning that is, you know, internal, long before it ever is genuinely external mm. and working for you in your life. Um, I know a lot of people, because of the pandemic, um, you know, articulate an anxiety because uh, they're not able to do, you know, what they want to do or what they're used to doing or whatever. And it's not lost on me, and I think this came through one of my daughters, it's not lost on me that to live the Eightfold Path is to live a very ordinary and mundane life, Mm -hmm. and to the removal of clinging and craving, um, living in the present moment, takes you out of, oh, I wish I could be there, or I wish I could be on a sandy beach right now, but they're not letting me or, you know, whatever it is. And, and acceptance, or lack of acceptance of the ordinariness um, can provoke its own anxiety. And so uh, this isn't easy, right? And it's in those touch points, and um, awareness and learning that we can walk away from it and say, this This isn't giving me what I want, right? Because I still have this, uh, passion and it's getting to the point of dispassion where you can really start to, um, abandon the, um, the fabrications, the, the things that are preventing you from living easily on the eightfold path. So, um, those are the thoughts that, that were. Uh, Brought to my mind, and I thank
0: you very much,
4: Kevin. Great job. So much, Mary. Thanks,
3: Mary.
5: Let's go
0: to Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi.
5: Hi, Karen. Hello. Thank you so much. Um. As usual, I don't think I have anything specific to share, uh, other so 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 yeah. so
1: than <laughs>
3: Thank you, I am grateful. Grateful for all
5: of your wisdom. Much appreciated.
0: Thank you for joining us, Karen. Sure. Mike.
6: Hi. Hi, Kevin. Hi, everybody. Oh. Mike, originally you were on camera first, Mike. So that's <laughs> I do it.
1: You want to go first? No, that's okay. okay.
6: Uh, I like I like the uh, I like the way you approach this. Uh, I paid close attention to it; It made a lot of sense to me, and um, all the pieces fit together. And I, I, again, I like the way you laid them out. Uh, I just want to go a little further. Uh, like when a Buddha has, says. Uh, uh, in this way, I saw a timeless path to be traveled by the rightfully self-awakened ones. And what is this timeless path traveled by the rightly self-awakened ones? Just the Noble Eightfold Path. Just that simple, right? Mm-hmm. Not so. Uh, the timeless path to me uh, also uh, represents, uh, obviously, due to the fact that it's wisdom, uh, uh, also means you. Ha- there's no, when we're aware of being, and actually just being we're not you know we're not taking into account every tick of the clock every moment we are actually being we are aware of being and experiencing life a human life being connected with our with our the mind and body being connected so this is way this is my understanding of uh timeless not to be uh confined by constraints of time uh, and be again aware of just being life and living in that moment. In that moment, uh, a lot of clarity comes you know because uh, again, we're not we're not stepping off into the ego self by craving and clinging. We're just living here as time goes by. And when that occurs, then, then the, the, as we go through our human lives, then whatever presents itself, uh, uh holding in mind, the eightfold path, and which is a the eightfold path is a path that is is one that that is void of uh, self-reference. There's no self-reference in that eightfold path. Yeah. If, if there is self-reference in that eightfold path, then you're really not on that eightfold path, right? At that moment, right, right, right. right. So at
1: that moment you can, need you need to check and you know say return to the sensation of breathing. Return the exactly. feelings arising in the body to thoughts arising in the body, quality of our mind. That's the tools that we can use. The four foundations of mindfulness. That's that's wonderfully said, Michael. you you know, your right effort is is clear, and, and that's uh, you know, great great on what you said. That was very wise, very astute.
6: Um straight it, speak, I'll just say. I'll ramble on more. Right. <laughs> know, pick up everyone else's time. I'll steal your time for a moment or two, Sure, but uh, in, in that moment, in, in this moment, we also now, the concepts come together, so, uh, you know, uh, the seed, our, our, the seed of consciousness in, in, our, in our karmic field, what are we going to moisture that with in this moment, what are we going to moisture it, are we going to moisture with craving and clinging and just lead ourselves into dependent origination? Or are we going to uh, use the, the con the concepts of the eightfold path in its purest form? Now, if we if that's our moisture, then we're going to put an end to uh, yeah. Into end to, You see where I'm going here, right? Moisture's the sweat, the sweat equity from your right effort. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's perfectly said. Beautifully said. But again, so that's the way I see this whole thing coming together and uh, the reasoning behind it. And, uh, thank you for the presentation. Very nice.
0: <laughs> Michael, the, uh, the, the light in your eyes and the joy in your face as you're describing the Dharma is remarkable. It really oh, is. Right, thank you. It's, a, yeah.
6: it's an exciting moment. I, I think, uh, when it uh, starts making sense to you. So yeah, it's, yeah. it shows I, Julia and I haven't been here for an extended period of time like this. All you guys you know, been here for uh, and you – know, I've studied longer. But uh, as I said, it's like the collective efforts of everyone here who has helped us with our understanding, and mm-hmm. Sangha is a great place for it. So yes. thank you all. One and all, thank you. <laughs> Julia. Hello, everybody.
7: I'm sorry that I always have to write things down.
6: <laughs>
0: no. No, so sorry here.
1: I, I have a page <laughs> – to read again.
0: I'm sorry, but um, don't, we, don't apologize. We want to hear it. We're sharing time.
1: We're not, that, that's, that's the beauty I'm of this. Right?
3: Slow.
7: I'm always inspired sharing. to write for some reason, but that's that's the way I, that's the way I um, you know, I communicate. So it's, it's difficult for me, it's the way I organize my thoughts. But anyway, um, the thing about the timeless, um, timelessness, uh, the reason why it's so important is because it's, it's our own, it's our only reality, it's what we have in the present moment. There all other things the past and the, and the future is not real. it's not here you know anymore we, we live here. so timelessness is reality not past, right. not, not the future so I, I felt that that was actually right view but anyway um, I'll, I'll read what I have. in heightened wisdom the faculty of penetrative understanding is augmented in which we understand things as they truly are the emergence of the ego self in an environment of impermanence causing suffering and confusion that is not personal. This understanding of emptiness and impermanence, one can abide in single-minded concentration free from self-referential views. What remains is viewed as what is seen is only seen, what is heard is only heard, and what is cognized is only cognized. So understanding impermanence and emptiness is extremely important. That's comes from heightened wisdom and is, is oriented in, in right view. Right view provides a perspective for practice, right intention, the sense of direction. This is further developed in heightened concentration, which brings equanimity and dispassion needed to develop wisdom. Right view is the guide for the entire path. It governs our thoughts and our actions and our complete orientation of our existence. It releases us from all fabricated conditioned thinking, To experience profound emptiness and be present. Right view is interwoven in all aspects of the Eightfold Path. We have to start with this view to seek and to take up the practice of deep meditation. Through right meditation, concentration matures. The eye of wisdom is open and the mind is free from bondage. Able to dispassionately, moment by moment, as life unfolds, live. The path. Begins with right view and ends in right meditation, where the mind is free of wrong views rooted in ignorance of the four noble truths. That's what I wrote. That's why inspiration <laughs> from from well, reading that. Well,
0: that's, well that's, written.
7: Beautiful.
1: Uh, you, in the in the beginning, there I heard you so eloquently describe the three marks of existence. Uh, you know that that shows such a level of understanding. And within that, I even heard something that I talked to Teacher Matt about. That from this position at the moment where I'm sitting, uh, to hear you speak about the governing principles is really touching to me because that's a, that's something that we went through, uh, one of the classes that I was uh, fortunate to lead, uh, and to hear that, that, that I, I, you know, that, that's just hits me in a place where I don't even know how I have words at the moment. To hear the understanding come back to me is, uh, that's a Quite a privilege to hear that. So that is special okay. and beautiful. Thank you very ah, much. For thank me. you very much. Uh, we'll go to Becky. Hi, Becky.
0: Hi, Becky? Yes, Becky.
5: Hi, everybody. Hi, Becky. Hi. Thank you, Kevin. That was. I love this sutta because it's so. It's like so straightforward you can just read the directions here
1: yes
5: (laughs) the thing about the thing about the the dhamma is as you as you revisit it over and over again you realize that every single word is important
1: Mm -hmm. yes
5: i mean how many times have we heard the eightfold path is the timeless path until today, I never really paid attention to timeless and what timeless means and how um, Julia so beautifully described what timeless means and what living in a timeless existence can be. Um, it's, uh, it's really amazing. It's, it's really amazing. And the other thing I just wanted to say is that Mary, you are so wise. I love to listen to what you say. It's it's always right on, and I'm always find that I'm I'm thinking, oh, Mary's just saying exactly what I was just thinking. <laughs> so thank you, very nice. And. <clears throat> The other thing I learned from the sangha today is this, this, uh, this idea of, of Meg's, which is self-consciousness versus self-awareness. I think that that was a brilliant enlightenment to point that out, I didn't It it taught me a lot, really, about myself in that moment to realize that self-consciousness is really coming from an unskillful place. Mm -hmm. And uh, self-awareness is a much better concept to guide you yes and you're always you you always feel that that stress when your self-consciousness comes to the fore. It's, yeah. it's always stressful but self-awareness is a whole another uh self-awareness is seeing the truth. Yes. And seeing the truth is what we're trying to do.
1: Mm. Yes. Yes.
5: Seeing life as it unfolds and seeing the truth about who you are and what you are and what you can do to yourself by wishing you were something different. Mm. So
1: Thank you
0: all. Yes. Thank Absolutely. you, Becky. That
1: was Thank beautiful, you. Becky. Yeah, I, I agree that, um, you know, that that really was a profound insight that uh, Meg shared with us um, because, you know, it really points to what the Buddha is trying to help us understand through this path and through the teachings on the pen origination that we are not our fabrications. We are not our fabrications. They they are. They are constructed in ignorance and in a, in a need for things to be different, right? To, to establish that self at some point in time, yeah. as opposed to being in time, life as life occurs. It's a, it's a, that's a vastly different understanding and framing, and you, you express that beautifully, and, and we all have uh, been sharing that. Let's go to Josh. Are you awake over there? Sorry. I am awake. We got golf to watch.
4: (laughs) Finally. We'll
1: watch the golf later. Thank you, teacher Kevin, for the Suda. I
4: apologize for going out. I forgot forgot uh, to plug in my computer after this morning session. And,
2: uh, John, uh, recommended that we practice right speech during this, uh, uh, retreat. I did.
1: And, uh, I learned the other day that a part of right speech is noble silence. So I'm going to practice that. Thank you.
2: Well,
1: it's, it's, uh, great to have you here, Josh. And I would say that if you're not going to practice right speech, you want to take noble silence, I'm going to do some speaking for you because if I uh, do recall, you, you, you were at our last online retreat and your right effort has been exemplary and remarkable
8: yeah.
1: in since then. And, and, you know, it has touched all of us and your practice and your, your inquiries and your questions. And, you know, you, you are just uh, an inspiration to me personally and, and to all of us, I think so. Whole uh, sangha.
0: Just, just, it's, it's
1: just so great to have you here, and uh, thank you. So, um, let's go to Meg. Aloha. Hey,
6: Meg.
9: Aloha. Um, I want to say too thank you for everybody in this group. It's been amazing to me to be able to hear what everyone has to say, and um and note and and notice when someone brings up something i was just thinking about or maybe it's even an answer to something a question that i had and um and uh and then when people bring up things that i didn't think about that are really profound you know um and i i think i went to the same school that julia goes to <laughs> where i have to write everything down and and, uh, but I'm also kind of have to have an experience with things. I notice um, I've never been very good at learning things just by reading them or memorizing them or anything like that. It's this seems like the way I've always learned the best is when I go out and have an experience yeah. and then I read about it and then I go. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> and it's like all of a sudden now it's etched in my mind, you know. And it's like it's like I get it, you know. Yeah. And um, and that's what I like about this group too is I feel like it's it it helps me put it in the perspective of experiences, you yeah. know, experiences that people have, experiences that I have with this. And um, I also um, really have. I get a lot out of um, setting an intention for, before I do something. So like I set an intention before this class that I was just writing down what, you know, what I was thinking I, I wanted, you know, and um, what came up was clarity. And um, it had to do with clarity about how to navigate in a world of ignorance and intolerance. Mm. And and I and then what came to me was that I have to heal my own ignorance and intolerance and intolerance. You know, because you know, of course you have to change yourself. I mean, that's I believe that the world changes one person at a time.
1: Right. As yeah. evident by the Buddha's awakening.
9: Right, I don't think you can change anybody else, and I've learned that the hard way.
1: <laughs>
2: That's right. And
9: uh, you know, I've tried to beat it into people's hands. You know, it doesn't it doesn't work.
4: Yeah. You
9: know? And uh, and um, but I um I do have a question. If before I go on to what 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 the point was that I was going to make is. It had to do with right mindfulness. And I was reading this and it says, right mindfulness is remaining mindful of mental qualities arising and passing away, etc. And then the next one is right mindfulness is remaining mindful of the quality of mind. So what's the difference between mental qualities and the quality of mind? All right. Very, very good
1: question. Well, uh, I, I, I would say... This is a good question. Uh, <laughs> mindful, mental, being mindful of mental qualities rising and passing away, and remindingful of the quality of mind. Mental qualities would refer to, like we're talking about, wise restraint, practicing right effort, practicing right speech, how we act in the world. Um, if we're if we're looking to establish that self, that you talked about we're going to have unskillful mental qualities arise such as establishing this self in an impermanent environment. It's, it's not wise to do that because as we have found out here, the result is pretty stressful. You've just described that. So we have to may, remain mindful of mental qualities arising. And, and that points back to, I think, right effort is where I would go with that. And, and the skillful mental qualities when they're present are, we take to the dominant awaken and we practice and, We have to be aware when they're not present. Sometimes we encounter what we call the five hindrances, such as uh, a little boredom with the Dhamma or laziness or distraction with other people, as we said, or the world at large. So we want to work on our concentration on our cushion to get better at noticing when skillful or unskillful mental qualities arise because they are both impermanent, Um, what we do through our efforts is to practice to cultivate that calm mind state and become more familiar with it. So, uh, you know, what we get into the Dhamma, we get out of it. So we're going to be more calm if we practice more and, and we hang around a song as such as this one, if we tend to associate and maybe practice or hang out with people that are being unskillful, some unskillful qualities may, enter our mind from that association. So it really speaks to, I think, the practice and what we develop in our own minds on our cushion and really, really getting to know that, getting to know your own mind. And John's described that before. We really become comfortable with our own mind and comfortable, as we've talked about in this talk, about how time passes and rather than just being attached to or, or establishing to create stress. Yeah. I don't know if that was long-winded or not. Maybe John would like to... No, that was
0: excellent, Kevin. And The, the, um, the, 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 sh- the short answer would be as it relates to uh, the four foundations of mindfulness, meaning it, mental qualities, remaining mindful of... The ment- first thing we should understand is that when the Buddha is using the term mindfulness, or we are we're talking about a calm and peaceful mind, not a grasping after or um, attention-filled mind, which is how modern mindfulness is often taught that way, to be um, uncharacteristically focused on some particular object or subject. And that's not mindfulness as the Buddha teaches. It's, it's, a, it's a gentle um, presence with what's occurring. And so in getting back to what you asked, Meg, the mental qualities would be the qualities that are Um, arising in our mind from being distracted by feelings or thoughts or being mindful of feelings or thoughts, which means we're not distracted by feelings or thoughts. And then being mindful of the quality of mind is the fourth foundation of mindfulness, meaning whatever quality of mind I have in this present moment, I'm at peace with. And you've often heard me say we learn to be at peace with less than peaceful mind states. So just a good recent example might be I don't want to go and get into politics. Something that arises that upset me in the moment is not something I drag on into the future. It's simply I'm feeling what's appropriate, much like we talked about earlier. But the next moment comes and I take a breath. And so the quality of my mind in that moment might have been described as distressed, but it's not distressing me because I understand the nature of suffering. I understand the impermanence of all things. And I'm not taking what's arising in any way personally. And so the quality of mind is is, stays in that calm and um, always present state.
1: Yes, Uh, there's a reference in there too, to greed, uh, which and unskillful mental qualities could be referred out to as the three defilements, which are known as greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. And that would uh, sort of point back to us wanting things to be different than they are in the moment, rather than being comfortable as life as life occurs, a calm mind state, as opposed to something that's grasping something to be different than it is yeah. greed aversion diluted thinking so um really really great question again um i hope that was kind of um so helpful.
9: okay so here's where i'm what i'm getting out of this and i don't and, you know correct me if i'm wrong but it's it's like it's talking about the mo- the quality of our mind is like the ground it's like what we're gro- how we're grounded or not you know, mm-hmm. in our mind. Right. Like if our mind Makes is in a good place, it, it's mm-hmm. at ease. Yes. And then the, the quality of mind arising uh, or the, the, the mind as it's changing, because there's always something changing and coming in. Right. right. Because we're, we're, as we have contact with the world, right? Yes, yes, the calm is,
1: is impermanent as well, right? We have to-
9: yeah, so, so there's that ground, that quality of mind that's there already, and then of being aware of the uh, reactions that come in the mind to the contact with the outside world. Does that make
10: sense?
0: Yes, and it relates to what what awakening really means. It, 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 the, the true description of awakening is gaining full human maturity, and so a, a fully mature human being understands human life, and so they no longer react to anything that occurs. That doesn't mean that you don't have um, a preference, or you don't see uh, you're uh, you're naturally opposed to things like war and poverty and and you know disease. It doesn't. We don't we don't develop an aloof state. In fact, it's just the opposite. We're deeply present for all of life as it occurs. We simply no longer need it to be any different than it is. And that's the key to having a meaningful life. Because if I'm judging my life in any way as good or bad, I'm not living it, am I? I want it to be, I want more of it or I want less of it rather than just to be in it. And that relates to that, that fourth foundation of mindfulness, the present quality of my mind. No matter what's occurring, as a fully mature awakened human being, rightly self-awakened, there's no disturbance. Why? Because I understand it. And that relates directly to um, yesterday's sutta on direct knowledge and profound wisdom. That's that's the whole point. It's simply understanding what it means to be a human being is what the Buddha taught us.
2: And that disturbance is telling you that you need to return to the heartwood of, of the Dhamma, the four noble yeah. truths, yep. and... You know, it goes to that right effort, Kevin. You know, you, you read these things a little closer, and you see the skill of seeing something arise that's skillful or something that is unskillful, and that's where that concentration factor is yep. so important along with the mindfulness. It's so beautifully grouped together in uh, supporting of each other. Yes, the
1: concentration in forums are Virtue and our—that's you know, that, that's important.
9: Very good point. Can I just bring up one more thing that I was looking at? Um, reading these, I noticed that they all say the same thing: is mindful of abandoning greed and reaction to worldly events. And that's where I was looking at what I wrote, and it was like, "Whoa, that's the answer!" Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the answer because I wanted clarity on how to navigate in a world of ignorance and intolerance. And I have to heal my own ignorance. And I was like thinking of an experience I had talking about the political situation, you know, because that's, what's going on right now. And uh, you know, how you start getting upset about things. And I, you know, at one point I said to my sister, you know, you know, well, these are like the most interesting times that we're living yeah. in. Yeah, she goes, "Wow, really?" Yeah. It's like, how can you say interesting? Nothing like how it
0: in my lifetime.
9: But it's like, it's really is. If, if like if you fast forwarded, you know, a hundred years and looked back, you'd be going, "Wow, how interesting what everybody was going through." But yeah, but then, but then I was reading this, going, "Well." that the key i think to being able to do that cuz it wasn't really easy for me to come to that conclusion you know but i when i said it i felt better <laughs> yeah. and and i thought i think it's because i'm not grasping after what i want if i want a certain outcome yes you know and, then, and that's the greed
0: yeah another way of saying that is not taking anything personally and that's key right. to the dollar. not taking it personal and yeah. not
9: grasping and clinging after something I think I want.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah. I yeah. think uh, all of so. us could have a long list of things we wish were different in the past year. But yeah. as a Sangha, we, we none of us have lost our mind because we understand that it's impermanent and that there's nothing personal about what's occurring. And, and, yeah. and so we move into and, the next moment with that same calm that we entered the past moment. You know, that's it. And
9: that's what I notice about this group, too, is everybody seems so calm. It's so wonderful. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I agree.
11: Can I add um, something?
0: No, um, not you. Please,
12: Okay, well, let me get these two thoughts because I don't do too well holding them in my mind. But um, just one thing that um, sometimes. When the buddha refers i think john kevin anyone correct me if i'm incorrect but when when the buddha refers to worldly things it doesn't always mean what's occurring in the political world it's like the worldly the, these these pieces of um you know the sense faculties the 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 the, the, the dukas so worldly is, is is taken on a very, very small to a very large level. So that may clarify a little bit, Meg. It's not always our view, you know, our view. And then sometimes I've struggled with what does it mean to take when when we take it personally. But I was listening again to John when you were saying we don't take it personally. It's not that we don't take what's happening to us personally. We're, we're almost we're not viewing it from an ignorant view yeah. of a self that has a view, that's taking things personally, right, that we want, I want, I don't want, whatever it is, that's the personal ignorant nature, that this, that now I've become attached to this view as me, and this view cannot be me, because this view is impermanent, it is stressful, it is, it's not self, Um, so is that don or kevin anybody
0: want to correct any of that no 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 you're right and it's it it, it and it's all things i mean it's worldly events of course it's not just politics worldly events is you, you know there's a there's a hair on my chocolate babka yeah. reference to seinfeld um, it's, to it's all of those things and so a mind that's that's very distracted and self-referential might take that chocolate babka and throw it back at the baker where a fully mature, awakened human being will flick the hair off and go, on, you know, get on with their life, and it's just that way. And again, I mean, maybe I'm using a silly uh, example, but it relates to what Meg was saying about the quality of mine. So if if I if I if I'm always looking for things that I need to be different in a world that can't possibly supply that, meaning every now and then you find a hair on your chocolate babka, So what? But if I'm reacting to it, I I, I might. Who knows what would happen from that? People, people start wars over, over disappointments. Um, and again, not to get into the politics of, of what's going on, but we've allowed that idea that just because I think of something means that it's true and everybody else should think that way. Look at where it's taken us. as Not just in this country, as a global society, we're so fixated now on being right in our thinking as opposed to anybody else. That we, we are literally creating a, a world that, is, that might be, I don't want to get into the, the whole, the, it might be beyond repair until something enormous happens to get us to come back to our senses. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to get into fear and in politics, but that's where a mind that is, that is unrestrained, that cannot practice wise restraint, ends up. And it's because of being stuck in these worldly events, the the, the minor and the and the major, or, or all distract us and, and twist the conditioned mind around. So, uh,
6: hey John, Michael. hey John, Michael, John, hi John. Uh, can we uh, actually uh, look at it from this perspective, as the, the world as a governing principle uh, of understanding anatta in relation to uh, the uh, the phenomena? Can we see it that way? Like uh, the entanglements, uh, and going back to what uh, Meg was touching on, like uh, uh, if we look upon the world as a governing principle, as to um, not entangling ourselves with, you know, phenomena that that exist that we create ourselves. If we understand that as being the not self, okay, and obviously, don't understand, yeah, uh, you have to go into uh, Meg. You'll have to. Uh, familiarize yourself with the uh, three marks of existence for further clarity on that. But I kind of think that's, a, a you know, the world for me as a governing principle makes me realize that my entanglement with all these things that are, are hitting hitting me at the, uh, the Sixth Sense base and I'm trying to process, uh, that's, again, when I recognize that as the not-self, I'm able to have, you know, form
0: a dispassion or, or a disenchantment yeah. with... With the phenomenal world that I
6: create and keep
0: going. So, if that helps, I don't know. Again, Michael, you're describing not taking anything personally. We're going to, after we go through the truth of happiness (laughs) structured study, which is starting next week, uh, we're going to do our 36 week uh, true vipassana uh, study into the three marks of existence, a 36 week class. So, I think you'll get a lot out of that. Let me get to Tom. I know
1: you've been. all right, can I just fit I'll
12: do i I was commenting on Megan that i'll I'll make this very brief I promise because I was initially I wanted to talk about the timeless piece which thank you Kevin so much I thought that was also brought yes. uh, a very um rich discussion and I also was very struck by um, the way that you described it and I, I just love it. I never thought of the timeless path like that. Um, so I always thought of it as you know it was this path that was there, you know, that he had to I just, you know, hmm. Um and and also Julia Julia um did make me cry also um when she uh Julia when you were um, giving your um into like your interpretation um I was I was so moved um really so moved and both Michael and and Julia, I think what, what moved me so much in that is, um, talk about right effort. (laughs) You guys are like on fire, you know, the amount of commitment that you put into understanding and integrating this path is very inspiring and very touching. And I really need to get a notebook (laughs) and do more. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, you know, super cool. And, um, I would say also that in term uh, i'll just leave it on on this note because i had a couple of different notes to write but um the dispassion um piece it was brought up i have a little note here maybe it was in, in response to meg and mindfulness in the mind and again you know foundation of mindfulness um, focused or scattered calm or distracted agitated you know we're looking at um how coalesced and are we resting in self or in dukkha and, you know so and and there's a you know there's this joy that um when we're resting when we're unified you know when the mind is unified in the body and, and in this experience it, it naturally draws us towards more well it does for me I'll say more of that that's a it's a very lovely mind to have to be at peace with what's unfolding um, and to have to be able to see clearly those four noble truths arising and passing um, is, uh, is is just um, a, a sense of a sense of tranquility that is beyond um, Took a, that's for sure. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, in the past, I was actually quite aloof, I would say, um, I was not in touch with what was really occurring in my life. So this whole, you know, kind of juxtaposition, I would say that, you know, I was way more detached in my old life. I didn't cry at what was truly sorrowful. And I didn't get angry at what was really wrong and harmful. Um, I had it all upside down. Um, so now I find myself um, much more sensitive to what's occurring, but it also doesn't linger the way it used to linger. Um, mm. So I'm able to be present with it and what's occurring and not get pulled down the stream, which makes, again, for this richness and this sense of, of real meaning in just about anything, um, so that's all I have. Thanks.
2: Thank that's you. That's
12: a description
1: of a Dharma mm-hmm. practice. For her. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Tom.
10: Thank you, Tom, for joining us. Here's
0: Tom. Hey, Tom.
10: Hi, Kevin. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Good to um, see you. Yeah. Um, thanks for the teaching, Kevin. Um, maybe I'll, I'll just share for me the, the value of this sangha through a, a very short anecdote, but, um, I I fairly recently just attended a... It was actually a winter retreat. I only, I only attended a couple of sessions of the, the Buddhist group that I really first discovered, through which I first discovered Buddhism um, in the UK. And um, there was a talk that was, it was talking about enlightenment and um, it was, you know, focusing on the mysticism of, of, of enlightenment, I yeah. felt. And so there was this... Um, there was this uh, way through, through this messaging, uh, through Slack, that you could ask questions to the leaders of this retreat. And so I posed that question. I said, well, what about, you know, um, uh, surely if we're, if we're making, if we're creating this sort of mystical vision of enlightenment, then surely that's going to lead to more, more uh, you know, more grasping and, um, you know, it's not going to be a very helpful um, way of looking at things. Um, and that's obviously influenced by what I've learned in this sangha. Um, I hope you'd be proud of me for asking that question. That's a, it's
0: a courageous question to ask. I am. <laughs>
10: but it was quite interesting the response because they, you know, it was quite a long response. So somebody took the effort to reply to me. But then they said, if you want to know more about it, then our uh, the founder of this movement has written a seven hundred page book on enlightenment and what is enlightenment. And it just got wow. me thinking. Like. You should never that, – that, a 700-page book on enlightenment shouldn't really exist because <laughs> I just got me thinking of how many 700 pages of, of
0: – Tom, I want to read it. Books. I, I want to hear it's, what you what you can say about enlightenment in 700 pages. So exactly. get me the name. Exactly. I'm, really, I'm, I'm serious.
10: serious. It, it hit the nail on the head, right, for me yeah. realizing how um, this other sangha, which is full of amazing – people and and very well-intentioned people and yet it was just not it was not well directed um, because um, it was fundamentally yeah just just people couldn't let go of of um, of 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 uh fabricated beliefs and 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 i feel that um there are a lot of inspired people there but there are also a lot of inspired people in this sangha and i feel that it's the source of the inspiration which is very different whereas in this, in this other sangha, um, there's a one brilliant teacher and everyone wants to listen to him because he has this wonderful you know, way with words. Um, and in this sangha, um, what I find so valuable is the fact is that it's coming back to the simplicity of the teachings. And so rather than you're craving for a particular teacher or a particular type of teaching or, or, or something different, I was thinking, well, why does everyone come back? And we started the truth of happiness this week. Um, obviously, with some of the um, the cross cross pond meditation center, and there were there were a few of us that were on this call today that were joining. And I was like, why are they joining if they've already they've already done this before? And you know, <laughs> we keep coming back to the same thing. But it's because for me, the value in the teaching is in it, it's it's always looking at what does this teaching how does this relate to my life like the the teaching is not somebody giving a mystical you know an idea or a vision or something i haven't heard of before it's saying no coming back constantly reminding yourself these are the core teachings how do these teachings relate to my life right now and this is the thing where there's always richness in that learning right because there's always something different and there's always something you've lost a little bit of focus on or that you've forgotten or and, and that's the value. And that's how an inspiration comes from that realization of a new way in which that teaching affects your life. And then, mm-hmm. of course, each other and hearing everyone else's stories and experiences and questions um, keeps us inspired. So we're just as inspired as, as well, I would say more inspired than a lot of other sanghas because, yeah. because um, there's that real sort of experiential nature of the teachings, right, yeah. which comes through the, through the simplicity so anyway, yeah. it was just something that was really, sort of, struck me over the last few days. Uh, why do I keep coming back? Why do so many people keep coming back? Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's. Um, so thank you, thanks uh, John, thanks Kevin, thanks. I know uh, I've heard a number of you talk and share ideas and questions, and it's um, yeah, yeah, always, always leads me back to, to, to reflect.
0: Well, I'm, 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 I'm glad you keep coming back, Tom, and you you describe the, the, the difference, and it's not a denigration, but you describe the difference between modern Buddhism and what the Buddha actually taught, and that doesn't make modern Buddhism bad, but it does, it does describe it as quite different, doesn't it? And so the Buddha taught, the, the Buddha went through those same things, too, by the way, he studied with um, the famous spiritual teachers of his time. Uh, two that come to mind are Alara Kalama and Udeka Ramaputta, who were both teething variants of the uh, Vedas, the precursor to modern Hinduism. And again, this isn't a comment on Hinduism. And the Buddha rejected them out of hand. But he also taught and he learned from that the importance of wise association. And so that's why one of the first rules, one of the first potimokshas, moksha, was that when you're gathered as a Sangha, you speak only of the Dhamma. So we cut out all the rest of that magical, mystical stuff that we might want to fall into, uh, because it's such a convenient escape, too, isn't it? You know, to imagine myself yeah. as somehow saved or rewarded for doing something, and that's not—it that has nothing to do with being a, an awakened human being. And Kevin, I know I interrupted you again. So I like how Tom you described that the timeless nature of the path. You, 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 you did that, and you referred back to what
1: makes. Um, another point that Meg made was the direct experience part. That's what the Buddha described, the, the experience of the experience of experiencing awakening. The, the, he's he's in the Nagara Sutta and the Eightfold Path. That's that's what we have to do, directly experience it. It's not abstract. It has to be experienced and lived. You have to live yeah. your life as the framework. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Tom. Tom. Tom, yeah. if you don't have yeah. time to read a seven hundred page book on awakening, check out the Arhant Sutta. Awakening in a single paragraph.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's linked on the homepage of the website. So,
1: all right, and then get to it. All right, yeah, get
12: get on on to it.
1: Yeah, Yeah. teacher Jen. I know you've been sitting there. I want to get to all of you. I don't want this to go
0: on too long. Hey Jen. Hey
11: everybody. This is fun. This is fun. This is a good good class. Um. Okay. So I didn't take notes. Julia, I like, I'm just, are you writing? You're writing this stuff like on the fly? <laughs> like during class? Girl? Oh, man. <laughs> I, um, sometimes, sometimes. I, I had do. To do my homework like ahead of time, but I-,
4: I That I... could be illegal. But anyway.
11: Um, okay, first of all, love this suta. I feel like I'm coming back to an old friend. Um, <laughs> during the The Truth of Happiness, um, which is when I entered the stream, my first go-around. I think I've been through it four times now.
2: Yeah.
11: Um, and you know, it's it's like the first few lines you start reading and go as a beginner and you go, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. I can I can become aware of of the Four Noble Truths. I can think about stress and understand, begin to try to understand stress. I can do that. And, you know, that's probably about as far as I got, because I, I do have a very linear approach to the world. Uh, you know, step one, let me, let me get to step one, which, you know, this isn't, this isn't step one, step two, step three. Um, but having gone through it again today, you know, I'm, I'm, start, I, I'm able to get all the way through it and read and understand and go, Oh yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can do these things. So, um, it was nice to come back to this sutta. That's number one. Number two. Um, so I, I'm struck by your the way that you teach Kevin is t- just perfectly the middle way to me because <laughs> of your gentle approach, but also your your meticulous, no nonsense approach um, of just the, uh, get to it. And this sutta, so yeah, so I do think that this sutta was perfect for you because this is real real clear, real cut and dry. And the way that you taught it was just very compassionately. That's all there is, guys, <laughs> with the program. Start going.
3: Yeah.
11: Um and then the third thing that I wanted to say was, I mean, there's a million, there's a million things in this conversation that that struck me that I was, I'm really enjoying. So I, I don't want to take up any more time, but um, I forgot what the third thing was.
2: <laughs> <Just>
1: <laughs> my brain. So I guess I'm, I guess I'm done. <laughs> you can. Well, if you remember it in the next few minutes here, let, let us know. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I have to interject here. Josh told me. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer, that, that Kevin has a radio voice. And you really do. You have a. <laughs> Am I sp- supposed to put a bag
1: over my head then? That's what I thought.
0: Well, that's no. I'm gonna to say I, I have a I have a like, face for radio, but you got a voice for radio. I I it. I
1: remembered.
11: I remembered. I remembered that.
1: <laughs> okay, go ahead. Right,
11: linear time is yeah. a construct of our minds. We understand
1: mm,
0: right.
11: because of the way our minds work. It is actually not linear. So nope. linear
1: time is a fabrication. Yeah. Yeah. That's very astute. We just, that was back to one of our retreats we uh, hammered mm-hmm. that out. Yeah. Yeah. One of the
0: first. Yeah. Yeah, that was a while ago. Another um, great discussion.
1: For, uh, Ram, and let me get to, I want to make sure we get to everybody, not take up too much time. Ram and Larry and I think we have David left. So, Ram. All right. Uh, All right. Thank you for this. Okay. Uh, Yes, uh, absolutely.
4: The, um, one of the foundational ones, this is one of the certas that you should use right down on an index card and have it in your pocket all the time. Because you can refer back to it all the time. It is it is that, and, and, and you, you put it out just the right way, because this is what it is. You know, it's, it's the recipe. It is the recipe. Yeah. Um, it, and it works every time. Um, I wanted to, because of all the discussions about, uh, uh, timelessness and time and, and timefulness, um, it's wonderful that, that we're, we're really on, on the same page here on, on this subject because of that, um, that line here, uh, this timeless path, uh, in, in a lot of other, um, Buddhist traditions, this is used to put the the buddha in some grand lineage of you know eons going back to uh, buddhas before and eons coming of of future yeah and you know you're in the weeds once you get in that in that direction yeah Uh, what we you know the the understanding that we have here of that particular line is is perfect the second thing I wanted to um, kind of <clears throat> um, unpack a little bit is uh, my, my old nemesis, The, the Virtuous Factors. Uh, John remembers from, from the beginning that I came to the, the Sangha that I had a really hard time with that word yeah. because I'm a recovering Catholic and, and that word just, 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 you know, got my niggers in a twist.
0: Um, Sorry about that. Not your
4: niggers, mine. Um, <clears throat> the virtue factors are uh, not a, a set of moral precepts from, from where we become, you know, better Buddhists. Yeah. Um, it's their tools to make us see where we're going off the path yeah. to make us see our, our, craving, our clinging, our wrong intentions. Uh, it's a bit like the, the Buddha, you know, puts us in this really ill-fitting suit and sends us out <laughs> into the world. And says, when this start to starts to chafe, pay attention yeah. because this is where your your wrong intentions are. You know, when when you realize that you're just about to shame somebody for not wearing a mask, uh, or you're just about to really hate somebody with that red hat on, um, usually you would have thought oh, yeah i can do that you know because you know the guy is a complete nut um, why wouldn't i do this you no know, the buddha says no this is not you you're now being harmful to yourself apart from being harmful to others you're being harmful to yourself and you're being harmful to your practice yes yeah. uh, this is where the virtuous factors really come in it is to show you how how you're doing on right yep. attention, right view, and the only way to actually get this view, to to get this understanding, as you are going through the world, is your already started practice of right mindfulness and right meditation.
2: Yeah,
1: yes, yeah. That's a it, nice description that goes back to one of the. Wonderful teachings, Teacher Jen has given us on how we stain the cloth with our with our ignorance. You know, yeah. we're staining our own practice. We're, it's it's hurting us more than it hurts someone else. That's that's very wise. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, but and in a that, very practical way, it's our speech and our action and our livelihood that will reveal what our thoughts are, because they'll I, always be expressed. Our thoughts are always expressed in our behavior. We can't hide that from ourselves, can we? And so that's I mean, it's another. Brilliant aspect of the Buddha's Dhamma to take that focus from outside of ourselves and say, "Look at your behavior, because that will show you what you're thinking about," and it always does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm.
8: Yeah, and in that
4: same Sutta, you know, he says that from his understanding of uh, dependent origination, he developed this path.
0: Yeah, he called it a breakthrough of understanding.
4: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. So thank you, Kevin. thank
0: you, thank Ron. you for bringing it up, Ron. Um,
1: let's get to. Larry, my friend
0: from the Hello, family. Larry.
1: Sorry, I know you've been, thank you for joining us. It's great to, sorry you're at the end here. <laughs>
8: yeah, thank Thank you. Uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's real. I mean, this was such a pleasant surprise. I was pulling into my garage down here and, uh, <laughs> I, I had just gone to the art supply store to buy some uh, materials, and uh, I was fully anticipating coming in and getting to work. And uh, and, and instead, I got this text message that uh, there was something happening in about five minutes.
6: <laughs>
8: and uh, so um, to, 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 to be engaged in uh, something other than idle chatter... <laughs> Which is what this is—is is just so enriching, and uh, yeah, just just really is is making my day. Um, I, I I'd like to just touch on something that Meg said um, when she uh, said that what she was seeking was clarity, and that's what I was seeking about twenty years ago. I think I. I I didn't necessarily know that's that i was seeking but i was seeking and i was looking everywhere and uh, and i came upon what i broadly refer to as eastern thought and philosophy where i had looked into that at an earlier age but had gotten caught up in the world and caught up in all the other things that one does get caught up in none of which are bad but uh, didn't afford me the time to do something I wanted, which was to, you know, find some more meaning to find some more clarity. And I I distinctly remember when I started delving further into, you know, the Buddhist, the Buddhist teachings and the Buddhist writings and the, the wonderful literature that one could obtain on it. That's exactly the word that I used to describe what was happening. Everything made perfect sense to me it was so clear and my ongoing effort to seek more of that uh, led me in a lot of places until i came across several years ago uh, some website with the words cross uh, river meditation on them and as i started digging a little deeper into that one it became readily apparent to me that here was a place of, of immense clarity and simplicity and purity in the teachings, and so I, I was very, very fortunate to, um, to 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 contact John and to then go to the first retreat, and uh, mm-hmm. and and now I just want to apologize for my early uh, departure from the last retreat and not getting to properly say goodbye to so many of you. Um, but I, I had an appointment uh, on, on Lake Michigan. That I didn't want to uh, didn't want to be late for, but I, but but I was blessed in this sangha by, by having uh, during that 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 retreat uh, Jennifer and Matt teaching, teaching me, and as much as I missed John's presence and John's uh, insights and uh, and whatnot, it was it was uh, such a beautiful beautiful thing to be there. And, and watch another evolutionary sort of page hmm. of 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 this of this song of ours and uh, so <laughs> I'm I, I, uh,
0: going back
8: to this specific uh going back to this specific you know I, I, I too do love the simplicity of it the sort of summar, summarizing everything you, you, I cannot read these things too too much um, just like other things that I'm engaged in, I I can read and reread. And I always, always find something and it's something I didn't get, have get out of it before and have the benefit of going around in this circle and hearing other observations, you know, deepens that too. So, you know, thank you to, to, to one and all of you. And I, I just, uh, I just want to say it's also sort of a nice, beautiful piece of synchronicity because this morning I was doing some of my readings and, uh, and I just want to share what I read this morning. I'll summarize it real. I won't read the whole thing because it was a little lengthy, but it starts off with our friend in a place called Savate, as they, as they most frequently do. And, and it was this, it was this, what I, that I read this morning. It was that. uh, Uh, It was that uh, several months later when the Buddha was again at Sabati, and then it goes on to say that this, this time the awakened one not only presented the edifying aspects of the doctrine, but also warned the apostates that there was no better or more comprehensive protection against suffering in the world than the threefold refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Yeah. and then there are these verses that he then reads to them, and they're all quite lovely, but I'm just going to go right to the end, because you know how repetitious they can be, but but, but, but um, he says, He who takes in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, his refuge, who sees with right wisdom the fourfold noble truth of suffering its cause and its transcending, and the noble which the stilling of all suffering leads. He finds a refuge that is safe, a refuge that is final. Going to such a refuge leads to freedom from all suffering. And you know that that's um, that's what that's what uh, I'm, I guess I think maybe I'm seeking. We're all seeking is this is is the end of the, the end of suffering. And this four noble truths points to it and with the help of of uh of, of you today kevin you know it, it, we're were i'm doing it again i'm reminded that the root cause i was told early on in this whole journey of mine the root cause of all severing is ignorance and it is ignorance of what it's ignorance of 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 this of these of the four noble truths yeah it's ignorance it's ignorance of 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 not uh, of not uh, of not pursuing the eightfold path, and uh, um, I, I just I guess the last thing I just want to say is that I know one of the I think it was a retreat before last night, we were focused on noble noble uh, silence but we, but really on on right speech, and and then I think John reminded us that right speech is not just the absence of those things like wine and idle chatter and gossip and so forth but is also you know you know it also has that listening component into it and since that time i've been trying to uh cultivate a little more of that um in in my life and 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 listening a little better and trying to understand others points of view and not be so quick to share mine in my opinion and what we were discussing earlier about wanting to be right which yeah. is what's 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 which is what's aggravating so much today as john said a few minutes ago so anyway i i i i i just uh it it, it it is it is so simple but it's so it's so complex too and it's it's so full of richness that you know you i don't think i could ever exhaust sure. you know the delving into it i just you know i don't think i could ever sit there and stand back oh i graduated now. <laughs> but but I, but uh it's it's uh yeah i, I just uh, I, I i you know i i i I, lo- I i just love all of you and and jennifer's saying you know this is fun <laughs> is, is, is 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 so true too so anyway um good to be here with all of you and uh, be again. yeah thanks so much kevin
0: thank you for joining us larry the um the talks from our previous two sessions are posted on the website already if you have time and you want to catch up and the rest of the schedule is up there too with the sutta. so i hope you can join us again we got uh, a session tonight and two tomorrow so. we got
1: okay real quickly we'll get to jane jane and david if, if you have anything I, I i know it's gotten a lengthy here i didn't want to Get you.
5: I'll go first. <clears throat> Kevin, wonderful job. Um, your love for the Dhamma is evident in your teaching. I just okay. want to I feel like I've been truly immersed in the Dhamma, literally, from all of your, what everybody has shared.
0: And I want to thank each and every one of you for that. So thank you. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Jane.
1: David, did you want to, I think, did you want to, I, I want to
2: make sure I got to you. <clears throat> else to add, but I will once again uh, recommend your teaching the Saraputa Sutta. Uh, oh, thank you.
0: Yeah. Everyone should take the time to listen to Kevin's uh, treatment of that. And uh, again, that's I all I have. I don't oh, think I posted it. <laughs> well,
2: we will get it up there.
0: But, yeah, uh, we'll get it up there
1: been a great afternoon i I apologize for it getting a little lengthy but the as we said the richness of this discussion was uh too good to miss i mean it wasn't wasn't much more important than that for for me personally and i want to thank all of you for just again the the quality of that discussion the focus on the Dhamma and it's just really special and remarkable so it's been great to see you and we'll let you get going to your day
0: thank you for listening